Hello, hello, hello. Good evening. It is Danger and Titus again with another special uh, around tabletop RPGs. How's your day, Titus? How are you today? Especially now. Long... Halloween. I had a long day. I didn't sleep much. Long... Oof, I've been studying for my. That. I've been studying for my MMORPG raids. Uh. If any of them are watching. I've been studying. If I make a mistake tonight, I'm gonna make a mistake tonight. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm just gonna apologize. It's okay. We still love you, Titus. I don't know if they will. Anyway, uh, before we start, uh, it is Halloween month, so if you noticed, uh, a lot of our stuff is is horror themed. Uh, we had Orktober yesterday, and uh, the big army primer the week before that, and as we. As we get closer and closer to Halloween, we're, we're going to talk about more horror stuff. And, of course, please don't forget to like and subscribe. The details are up there. You can see them. Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, our website, and our Instagram and Twitter. Yes, please do not forget to like and subscribe. We will appreciate that very much. And hello, Dandy. Uh, I'm glad to have you with us. Now we're going to go through, and this episode, episode eleven. I noticed you, you might have noticed on the promos I put episode twelve. I made a mistake. Sorry. This is episode eleven, and we're going to talk about how to run a horror campaign well. But first, well, yeah, well, well, yeah. <laughs> well. As a GM, this is mostly for GMs, but there is a little bit in this for players too. And for sure. Titus, take us through the trigger warning, please. Oh gosh, yes. Um, trigger warning. Um, since we're going to be talking about horror campaigns, we really have to bring up the fact that these campaigns are horror campaigns and they deal with things that are designed to make people feel uncomfortable. So we may have to talk about sometimes death, violence, gore, mental health issues, and many other dark themes. So... Uh, Apologizing in advance, and uh, you know what to expect. It's horror, guys. Yeah, it's horror. Uh, hi, Michael, by the way. Uh, so, we're going to go to part one, being on the same page. We already outlined this advice in how to start D&D, &D, and, and we feel like, especially in a horror campaign, we have to reiterate it. Specifically because... Um, wait... Uh, sorry. Specifically because the players and the GM, the, uh, whatever system it may be, it's 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 just better if they're all on this. If you're all on the same page, you you know what what things you want to see, what things you don't want to see, and it's a little bit more complex with a horror campaign, but it ensures that the experience is cathartic. That's a very and, important word, and we will be using it a lot. Yeah, cathartic. We need to cathart. We need to cathart. All right. So uh, Another uh, thing you have to include in this discussion, I think, is a discussion on tropes. Uh, a tro you, you have to... Do you want it to be, for example, a zombie campaign or uh, or a haunted house campaign? Do you want to Scooby-Doo this shit? 
Yeah, fine. you you need to be on the same page on what you're going to try. You never know what someone's okay with or not okay with. And I think one of the most important things in doing a horror campaign is when you're being on the same page, that includes everyone understanding that in this particular campaign, usually, usually, almost every time, the reality of character death is a looming looming theme. Your characters will die. And if they don't, well... Oh, that's a pleasant well, lucky surprise. Them. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasant surprise. Uh, another concern I think here is uh, wait, let me open my notes. I accidentally exited them. There you go. Your characters, your characters have to be designed to thrive in the horror genre, and it just helps you immerse in the game more. And this is this this is advice for players. Okay, so we go to part two, creating the atmosphere. Atmosphere now, is this very is, important. Yeah, it's very important. Like one of the most, uh, if, if you're playing together, you can turn on, turn off the lights a little bit, turn them down like I did, or turn on your sex lights like Titus did. Uh, they're not sex lights. Um, I, uh, um, they're not sex lights. Uh, this is just light okay. that I have in my room. Okay, Titus. Your room looks like a soga for no reason, Titus. Okay. It's it's, it's not a it's not a it's not a sex light. Um, <laughs> another thing, another thing. Um, with uh, music and lighting, you can be oh, as creative yeah. as you want. Exactly. Uh, for something like this, um. There are some systems we won't talk about that in, in in this episode. But there are some systems where the lighting is an element of the actual game, and there are some campaigns or systems where their characters have the lights on pitch black, and everyone only has a single flashlight. Um, really, really, just you know, stuff that makes everything more fun. The remember, and the point of a yeah. horror campaign is fun. Yeah, fun. Fun through fear and anxiety and panic and sheer terror. And yeah. and Because that can nightmare. be fun. Yeah, because that can be fun. It can be cathartic. And in this episode, we're actually going to explain why it can be cathartic. But that'll be around the end. Yeah, and fun. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there's one... Uh, music is also a good addition. There are plenty of horror video games out there whose soundtrack you can use that's perfectly atmospheric. You can even use like movie soundtracks. Just put on a Bluetooth speaker, put the speaker somewhere, and just let it play in the background. For example, I love to use the Insidious soundtrack. Oh my god, that's just it has all these rising string notes that just make, make the players go <laughs> and. Sometimes I try to time my own narration to the to the music so that it's Oh yeah, that's so fun. Yeah, yeah it is fun. It's it's excellent. Uh like coming from a stage background, that is that is quite fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also recommend that there are some artists that specialize in creating music for horror settings. So you look them up on YouTube and my god, just the stuff yeah, you find. Lots of free. 
all, all so many free resources for music for horror campaigns and general atmospheric stuff and of course it always helps uh the atmosphere if you put role play before gameplay now this we will we, we normally don't preach how we how players should play but it's very difficult to focus on the it's, it will be very difficult to enjoy a horror campaign the way it is meant to be enjoyed. If you're there, the rules lawyer, the to power game, way. power game, yeah, exactly. I mean, nothing is going to ruin a a suspenseful story like too much dice rolling. As exactly. much as we love dice, just yeah, this is not going to be. I literally have like five sets of dice within reach, and uh. I would recommend that you roll less for for a horror campaign. And keep the... Oh, and this is another thing. you In a horror campaign, you keep the rolls for when it matters. Yes. Every... Like, in a horror campaign, every die roll should feel like something terrible will happen if they don't succeed. Oh, yes. Existential dread. We're actually going to talk about that. In, in in one of the next sections of in one of the later sections of this uh of this episode so now we go to part three imagery uh now for imagery i'd like to i'd like to go for i'd like to talk about um stephen king's three levels of horror uh stephen king said that there were three levels of horror in in literature and in movies, and it's number one. The first level is the gross out. That's your basically disgust, vomit, gore, I think, also falls under this category. Body horror, uh, violence uh, at, at its very lowest is, uh, is a gross out. Next is your horror. Horror is underscored by by learning about things that shouldn't be or being faced with the unknown or unfamiliar. This is where you get spiders the size of bears or uh, Cthulhu. Yeah, Cthulhu or the alien, the alien from Alien chasing you and yeah, just appearing out of no, nowhere, chest oh, bursting, stuff like that. Oh, we then, did that once. Like, fuck. Oh, that's my that's my f bomb for the. Yeah. Anyway, Titus we has did given this. up his one f bomb for the night. Luckily, YouTube doesn't count our putangina bombs. Yay, putangina! Anyway, <laughs> we uh, can say it as much as we want. <laughs> oh God, we ran. Uh, I ran this with my friend Toby a few, uh, a couple of years back. It's the alien horror rpg system oh man the moment the xenomorph came out oh like we didn't know whether or not to scream or cheer because we knew it was gonna happen but we were dreading it because we knew that the moment it came out at least one person was going to die oh. two people died <laughs> yeah, any anything in the alien genre, not everyone survives. Usually, just one person survives. In fact, and finally, the highest level of Stephen King's three levels of horror is terror. This is the realm where fear is caused 
by the imagination. This is the realm of the unknown and the uncertain. This is where your existential dread falls under. Uh, basically, it's this our is mind. favorite, by the way. This is my favorite because this involves get, getting your players' minds to play tricks on them. And it's amazing. It's just... Oh, the mind games just... Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Michael just said, sometimes silence is the greatest terror. Yes, this is an excellent thing to do. Like, just imagine being in a quiet, dark room, playing this game, playing a horror game, and it's just you turn off the music all of a sudden and the players are making choices and they they might not even notice that the music's gone. But it also might give them this weird sense of dread, which is an actual system, by the way, dread. Oh, we will talk about dread. Yeah, we will talk about dread perhaps in another episode. And then... Um, where our next part is the key advice for uh, better imagery. Oh, exactly. Here, here, here. Sometimes what the players imagine is worse than what we... Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And that is why you never describe the stuff. You never describe the stuff too much. I mean, yeah. okay, we're going to say that being descriptive is a very, 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 very important part of a horror campaign, but yep, being too descriptive is. can be bad too. Yeah, but that goes into storytelling uh and if, if you're narrating current events it's also good to be this as detailed and descriptive as possible and here's one piece of advice i know titus loves is employ cinematic techniques yeah he knows this about me i always have a um i always have an imaginary camera following the party in a horror campaign um, I describe what the camera is looking at. If I'm describing, uh, <clears throat> and this is something they teach you in grade school English as well. When you're describing something, you go the way your eyes would be going. If your eyes are going to look at the top first and then move down to the bottom, you describe it from top to bottom. Exactly the way a camera would pan down. Or it goes from describing a landscape, describing somebody's reaction. Um describing a scene and you have to know what to point the camera at uh, one of my favorite pieces of horror fiction is the dunwich horror by hp lovecraft damn that's an old that's an old book <laughs> it's still really good it holds up i recommend it to anybody the dunwich horror by hp lovecraft when the thing finally comes out the scary thing the dunwich horror itself lovecraft does not describe the monster after everything you got into the end he doesn't describe the monster he describes the reaction of the guy looking at it and then you just imagine the worst thing in your own head and this reminds me of uh cloverfield that amazing horror film the the found footage horror film yeah, sci-fi horror film, Cloverfield. The entirety of the monster is never revealed. The camera is a limited perspective that just points to what the people can see. And you see the Empire State Building, uh, the, the Statue of Liberty's head just rolling through the street. You see 
the monster's feet uh, walking by you just you never see a complete picture and it just adds to the to the to the value of the imagery you just imagine the worst things imaginable i so, think that's why yeah. And, and and that and when I say cinematic techniques, I mean everything that can be used in a movie. I mean swelling up music, uh, changes in lighting. If your players are okay with it, jump scares. Oh, uh, uh, I've literally done this during a campaign. We're gonna demonstrate what kind of jump scare I've done. Titus, count me down. Then suddenly, yeah, I've literally <laughs> done that to a person, and it it made them palpitate for a little bit. <laughs> oh god. Uh the best jump scare that I've ever experienced in a game was there was this silence. There was this silence after um there was this really tense moment of roleplay and then silence. The DM did not speak. It was silent. The the, the music just went silent. And then I jumped when the DM started laughing as one of the characters. It was the best jump scare I have ever experienced. I hate jump scares. I don't like it in movies. I love it in RPGs. I don't know why. Uh, don't ask me to explain it. I, I do have to remind everyone, though, that uh, you have to, since it's a, it's a, still a campaign, you have to ask your players what they're okay with, including jump scares. Some people like, aren't okay with jump scares. Some, some people aren't okay with jump scares. Some people have heart conditions that could be exacerbated by jump scares. Basta, when in doubt, wag mong subukan. Masisira ang buhay mo. Yeah. It's the only time, it's one of the, like, uh, I think uh, uh, one of the good things about watching our stream is you actually get to see the president be right. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, this this ties back to, the, to our uh, last piece of advice. Look back at the good horror movies of the day. Of the past, why were the images and scenes so scary? Like, is it because of what you didn't see on the screen? Is it what, what uh, because of what the screen wasn't revealing enough of, and so on? Like, just remember your favorite scenes. Going back to Cloverfield, remember that time when, oh my God, remember the time when one of the characters gets dragged behind a white screen and you only see their shadows? And then you oh, see yeah. their body bloat up and explode. And you don't see any of it. You, it's all just silhouette. And Okay, you know, I remember Cloverfield to be a meh movie. But the more I think about it, I realize it was a good movie. Yeah. It's an excellent look at the monster, at the monster genre. Oh, I'd like to go back to, to story, to, uh, to imagery. There was this one time. Uh, th there was this one time uh, I was running a horror one shot, and my players were going through a town. And upon entry to the town, there were all these marble statues in various poses. And it's just people doing their everyday things. And until and as they got closer and closer to the town, the statues in caught in motion seemed to be moving away from a thing, from the very thing they were heading to, until they heard 
this mournful noise from one of the statues going a muffled screaming and when they looked closer the eyes were moving looking at them and they didn't know what to do so they tried to break open the statue <laughs> and all it did was the the organs slid out organs and blood slid out from the cracks that they made and the screaming stopped now that is an example of imagery yes uh and it was i think an excellent exercise one of my better scenes because it highlights a few of the storytelling elements that we're going to talk about later on oh after God, we talk about after we talk about creating a good story now ah First, we go to theme and genre. Titus, why don't you take this one? Well, theme and genre go hand in hand. Uh, so whenever you think of a story, remember that horror has several different themes and genres. You've got zombie films. Uh, you've got cosmic horror. That's my personal favorite. Psychological horror. Uh, monster films. Ghost films. Um, sometimes. Uh, oh, and slashers. Slashers. Everybody loves a good slasher. Um, usually theme and genre go hand in hand. But you have to understand what every genre actually means. For example, uh, what are zombie films about? Zombie films usually tackle social horror. It, it, it talks about um, usually society. Cosmic horror usually talks about existential dread, the feeling of being small in the world, the, that, that helpless feeling that you are absolutely nothing in the face of the grand scheme of the cosmos. Psychological horror just um, delves into your fear of not just... No, I mean, people think psychological horror is your fear of crazy people. No, no, it's no. Not. It's about the monsters inside. It's not usually a... Well, psychological horror can overlap with other genres. Like, for example, the, the Haunting of Hill House is a psychological horror and a ghost story at the same time. Like, uh, it is about the monsters inside more so than the monsters outside. Um, Fantasy horror is also a thing. But yeah. there is a there are uh, limitations to fantasy horror. But it can be done. Yeah. I, I recently played this uh, game where we were, we were all human beings that were... I mean, in this system, you're all human beings that were escaped from being enslaved by the fey folk. And basically... The entire game was just about abuse. Um, you were dealing with the aftermath of being enslaved by these fairies for such a long time that you start acting like them. You start making the same decisions these fairies would be making. You start talking like them. And 
the the GM was really just putting us into situations where we were forced to face the fact that we were turning into our abusers, and that was it. Made me very uncomfortable, and and I, that's what I loved about it. I love yeah. to be made uncomfortable in in these sorts of games. And we're gonna talk about why this discomfort, this fear, has value, but later on. So yeah. the next part of the story is setting. Now, setting has a few elements, of course. There's the when and the where. That's the most basic. This is just the elements of the world. That's the and easy by the way, part. This is very, very important to talk about because um, this is all about immersion. People need to be in the moment. The thing is... Um, if you see an anachronism, like an anachronism that's just too out there or something or a player just doesn't understand the, the setting or when it's happening, it just kills the mood. Like, uh, it's an immersion killer if somebody doesn't yeah. understand the setting. So you need yeah. to get that ahead to your players. Yeah. Like, for example, if, our advice is specifically for one, running a one shot, but you're more than it's more than possible to run a long campaign with multiple uh, sessions that's still in the horror genre, but this is for one-shots. For example, a good when and where is a creepy town. Just a creepy town. It's a common trope in the horror genre. The players will fill their imagination with all sorts of imagery about creepy towns, but it also still helps to describe it. What makes it quirky? What makes it strange? Is it like, uh, is it a happy, too happy town, too perfect? Everything is bright and shiny, but something is simmering under the surface. Or is it desolate and isolated? Do, are the people living in squalor and poverty? Is it filthy? Does it smell a certain way? These are the questions you need to ask about your when and where. So there. And an important, important concern here. Is verisimilitude the rules of the world? Oh God, yes. The rules of the world, like the world, has to make some sense. Even in horror, in the horror genre, it has to make some some sense. Like, and no, the rules will also dictate whether or not it's applicable for a horror genre. For example, I would not commend. I would not recommend. And I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I would not recommend. Dungeons and Dragons for a horror uh, setting yeah, or a it's horror. It's more campaign. for an adventure campaign. It's still possible, completely possible to do a horror campaign in Dungeons and Dragons. But it. You know, it's just the rules of that world, especially the rules of the system, are designed in such a way that your characters are heroes. Horror, horror stories are not about heroes, they're, they're about people, normal people. And uh, where did it go? Oh, I forgot that. Oh, I went ahead. Well, I've, I, all I meant to say was that as a, as a game master, storyteller, whatever, you can bend the rules, but don't break them. Like if you, uh, you can bend the rules, but don't keep changing them just to move Make the story forward. Yeah, because otherwise it will break the fine line of helplessness that you need to uh, 
create. Uh, Dandy has an interesting uh, comment on Dungeons and Dragons. Favored to make you feel powerful. And yeah, that's that's yeah, that's absolutely right. It is favored to make you feel powerful. Whereas horror campaigns thrive on helplessness. Yeah, um, but at the same time, you can't make them too helpless. Yeah, um, you can't make them too helpless. Just. Uh... It's fine if it's a no-win choice. Uh, it's not always bad to have a no-win choice, but they you have to make them think they can win at the very least, and or at least the make them uh, reasonably think that the characters think they can win. That that that's yeah, or an interesting one. Give them the incentive that despite a no-win choice, they still have to press forward. They have to have that incentive to drive forward. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. And hello, Mars. Give them agency. There. There you go. That's the next yeah. one. Yeah. Give them uh, that's very important. You can't just keep saying no to your characters. Um, Like, when your characters... You just don't say no. Yeah. Like, oh, can I reach that lead pipe so I can hit the killer? And you know that they're not supposed to fight back against the killer. Yeah. Players should never lose options even if the characters seem to be helpful. Be or yes. feel helpless, according to yes, I I completely agree with this. Like even if none of their options are palatable, they, I feel like they should still. Uh, in, yeah, or have them deal with a fallout of their choice. This is always excellent. Consequences are an excellent element of the horror genre. Like uh, I wouldn't even say it's an element. I would say it is a necessity. Yeah, it is a necessity. Because we'll everything that happens. Yeah. Everything, Everything that happens that have... in a horror story should have weight. Yeah. Basically, the stakes should be real. And we, we were, were actually going to talk about that in another section. So uh, That's why even in Call of Cthulhu, you have to take sanity damage just from killing another person. Whereas in another system, it's just, now oh, you killed another person. Yeah. Good for you. In Vampire the Masquerade, you take humanity damage if you go against your principles in any way. Like if, for example, you drink someone, that that'll take you, that'll ebb away at your humanity. So next element of story is the plot. Now, the first uh, element of plot is structure. It's always this is a generally good structure to follow. You have your, this is the most common story structure there uh, there is in Western literature, and it's. A, and it is uh, nice to think about it when you're trying to create a story for your uh, one-shot campaign. Always start with exposition, and then the rising action is where the, uh, more of the world is revealed and more of their actions affect the world. And, of course, the climax, the big boss fight, the big reveal, whatever if it If there means. is a boss fight. If there is a boss fight. If there or just uh, an event they must prevent, an event that they must uh, ensure succeeds, whatever the case may be. It's the moment a, that decides if the if the yeah. thing happens or not. Yes. And by the way, uh, DR uses that story structure. I actually structure a lot of my stories in horror campaigns after the hero's journey. Yeah, a very very twisted twisted version of the hero's journey <laughs> the hero's downfall gonna <laughs> pretty much yeah now uh another uh 
decision you have to make in the creation of your uh of your story is balancing the familiar versus the unfamiliar because i keep saying um in a horror campaign that you need to you need to understand that people are afraid of things that they are familiar with um if somebody who has never heard of a wolf hears a wolf howling in the middle of the woods when it's dark they're not going to get scared they may or may not uh another interesting here is what do you is the the type of story you your you present your characters with uh the do you present them with completely unfamiliar circumstances that's a good place to start for example the creepy town they end up at the creepy town that's a good example of starting with the unfamiliar or you could start in a setting they are familiar with uh, using tropes they are familiar with, and then slowly reveal uh, what's unfamiliar about them. See, horror actually drives forward because of of the fear of the unknown and the unfamiliar, and this is where it thrives. Like for example, I was talking about like that Stepford Wives style town where everything is perfect, the flowers are perfect, the birds are singing. And then one night you hear strange noises and the fire in the distance. And apparently the town is a cult and they sacrifice uh, visitors. Yes, tropes, everyone can relate. Tropes, everyone can relate. Using tropes, uh, which will be, again, described in another We're going to talk about that in a bit. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a bit. Uh, this is an excellent way to balance the unfamiliar versus the, un the familiar. Um, it's also, uh, it's also good to mix it around, like, you know, uh, play with what they do know and what they don't know. There is a sweet spot in the middle between knowing and not knowing. And, oh, what's really fun is when the players have a really have an idea. The players have an idea of what's going to happen because they've seen horror films, or they're familiar with the genre, but their characters don't. Yes, exactly. And they can just play that out. We were playing, uh, again, we were playing the alien, um, uh, the, the alien horror RPG with Toby, and we knew the Xenomorph was going to come out and kill us. We knew. Like, we knew at some point it was, but he just kept holding the thing back. Like, right when we thought it was going to come out, a door opens. It's not the Xenomorph. Uh, the camera starts to move towards a dark part of the room. It's not the Xenomorph. But we were all just anticipating for the thing to come out until it finally did. And it was glorious. People lost yeah, limbs. Is, yeah. And this is where skepticism is excellent. Skepticism in face of, of the unknown. This is... This is where the setting actually comes in also. Like the setting determines what the characters will be skeptical of. Because if you present them with the rules of the world, that means anything that goes against the rules, that's what they'll be skeptical of. The characters at least. Yeah. Yeah. Now, conflict. Now, it's always important to think of a main conflict in your story. Like, for example, the zombie genre. It's on the surface level. It is humans versus zombies but 
There are also sub-conflicts, and that's why it's more of a social horror, which is why The Walking Dead has lasted how uh, like 45 seasons? I don't know. 45 and a lot of, of the time, killer. we don't... And a lot of the time, it's not the zombies that are threatening everybody. Yeah, exactly. More often than not, the zombies are not the greatest threat in the story. It's it's other humans, other humans with their own interests, with their own selfish needs, with their inability to think of the greater good. That bad guy from Train to Busan. Yeah, I exactly. hated him more than the zombies. Yeah, I hate. Yeah, exactly. You hated him more than the damn zombies because he's an asshole. Order versus chaos. Yes, excellent. Yes, and psychological drama. Yeah, it's this. Oh well, this. These are the things you have to think about. And now we go go to part five: storytelling techniques oh, and man, tools. That's my favorite. Now, Titus brought this point up with me earlier. Isolation is very, very important. You need to deprive the players of their senses. Almost every single one of my horror one-shots. I never run a campaign. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, conflicts uh, versus self versus the environment and versus circumstance. When all these con conflicts just marry each other, when they're all happening at the same time, that's horror. Actually, yes. no. That's life. And life is horrible. Anyway. Um, so, isolation. You deprive them of their senses. Uh, put them in situations where they can't hear. And there's a looming threat that they won't be able to sense. Put them in situations where they can't see. Put them in situations where they can't speak. Cut their phones off. Almost every single one of my horror one-shots takes place in a setting where the characters have no access to technology. A lot of the time, I don't set stuff in modern days unless social media is going to be used some way. Because can you imagine how many horror movies would be solved if everyone just had phones? Yeah, just call 911. Just call 911. Uh, oh, uh, Gerald's game. Gerald's game, and she has a phone. <laughs> Just, it's over. It's Just no story. Um, and the thing with uh, isolation is don't just isolate them. Isolate them from each other. Bring the person who is, oh, Toby loves doing this. Get the guy who's good at lockpicking to not be around when people need to open a door. Get yeah. the guy who's good at talking to not be around when they have to deal with the scary caretaker. Like, the people that they need at that particular part, make sure they're not around. Just make them wish they had something. Just keep something that they need just out of reach when they're facing a threat. Just isolate them because that's something we're all scared of right everyone's scared of being alone that's uh <laughs> yeah oh, i forgot to animate this slide well and anyway the next uh important consideration is uncertainty in particular the stakes 
Now there's this there's this constantly looming question: How do you demonstrate that the stakes are real? And I think a bad example of the stakes not being a good example of the stakes not being real is the final season of Game of Thrones. Like we all watched that episode where the Night King attacks Winterfell, the Long Night, which was literally just one night, and nobody of importance dies, other than Theon Greyjoy. And uh, Jorah Friendzone. Jorah Friendzone. And that's it. Hashtag right? Friendzone is a myth. Um, it's a uh, anyway. Uh, the and yeah, one of the things to make the stakes real is just embrace the reality of character deaths. Everyone should understand and know that their characters could die at any moment, even at the start of the game. Yes. Um. Just. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and there are many ways. Put them close to death. Uh, danger. Make them feel like they're... Uh, put them in situations where they feel like, God, if I hadn't uh, rolled that way, my character would have died for sure. And maybe if they do, hell, kill the character. <laughs> and yeah, um, there's always a way then, to make death fun also, yeah. Making oh god, and that's why so many horror systems allow you kill the NPC they were supposed to protect. This is that yeah, this is, is really good. Um, okay, because of course, here's the thing uh, player death, player death is sorry, char player character death. We don't kill players, uh, never kill your players, kill the characters. Um, the character deaths, they already know that you're not going to start killing them towards the end. Uh, till towards the end. Because when you start, they know that <clears throat> this person um, is going to... Um, you, you know that these people are, are meant to survive at least for a while so that they can play the game, right? So threaten the NPCs. Kill the NPCs. Get them to care about the NPCs and then kill the NPCs. Sometimes players care more about the NPCs than than um, the characters. Yeah, oh, exactly. And making death fun. This is a really good example. Um, I have gone as far as killing people off towards the beginning of the campaign. And I did this in a certain way. In one game... I killed off a character because the character just had a really bad role. Something terrible happened. And of course, I can't betray the dice. Because if I betray the dice and pretend that character has plot armor, I kill the stakes. So the character had to die. And what I did was I, I let the character interact with the story as a ghost. Yes, this yes. is the beauty of a horror campaign. Even death of a of a player character is uh, it, it can be awesome if done the right way. Like like uh, that's that, the point of horror. The bad guy in Train to Busan, um, his death is so pathetic. He 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 dies uh, begging for his mother, but the actor playing him is having a blast because you know. Yeah, he gets to do all these terrible things. Oh, this is this is actually one bit of advice I got from Toby. 
well, you don't do this all the time, but it's a very satisfying way to kill characters. You kill them by order of morality. <laughs> you kill the most, uh, like, you really kill the the bad, the morally bad characters first. Bad guy monologues. Oh, man. I always give the bad guys monologues before they get killed. That's fun. <laughs> uh, there was this one time in, in another campaign, um, the players started dying, I think, in the 30-minute mark, even if we were there for four hours. The players started... Because what happened was one of the characters wasn't aware that this entire supernatural thing that's happening was actually meant to be staged to scare her. Like, the entire uh, ordeal was her ex-husband gaslighting her into believing that she was in a horror scenario. So, like, there were elements of abuse and gaslighting and everything. And the people who died, I had them placed in a separate room where they would all be directing me on what to throw at this uh, character that they were gaslighting into thinking that everyone was dying until we got to this reveal where this character, who is kind of everybody's victim, where she is led to... I called it the Dogen, because that's what Stephen King calls a control room, where she is led to this control room under the abandoned hotel where all the characters who were supposed to be dead were controlling everything in a very cabin-in-the-woods sort of way. They were controlling the special effects. They were controlling the... <clears throat> they were controlling uh, all the horrible things that were happening. And just the player... The player didn't know. The player didn't know that all of this was just... Um, you know, didn't know that her character was being gaslighted the entire time. So it just... Uh, the character just flips, just goes insane. She draws her gun and she just starts gunning everyone down. And then, like, all the interpersonal conflicts come out and it was gory. There was blood. They all killed each other. I didn't have to bring out a single ghost. <sighs> Sorry. Uh, uh, that, was, uh, that was Calling the King, by the way, Toby. The cursed play. Um, now we go to the mystery now what is the difference from uncertainty this is the concern of how much do you reveal over time how much in the beginning and how much over time it's always good to never reveal the full picture uh, immediately because that rarely ever works unless you're hoping to subvert certain expectations um also, um, when we say mystery, there has to be a difference between... Well, okay, not a difference, but it's really fun to make a difference between what the players know and what the characters know. Yes. There is nothing wrong with showing the reflection of the threat in the mirror, and you tell the players that the characters can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have to roleplay it. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> GMing for this is such a blast. GMing for horror campaigns is such a blast. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's just uh, 
it's it's because your players consent to suffer to a greater degree of suffering oh, than yes. would any other campaign. And now I love it. The, I love it when people firm. consent to let me hurt them. <laughs> harder dungeon master. Hashtag harder dungeon oh, master. Man. So excited. <laughs> Show Wait, let me just create though. that banner. Hashtag harder than the master. There you go. <laughs> and now there's the, the difference between showing and telling. Now, there's nothing fine with telling. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes it's better. There's nothing, fine with, uh, there's nothing wrong with the show showing either. But showing often forces the players to make to make their own conclusions about what they're presented telling telling them will telling them what's outright going on might be a little hmm, always might be might reveal too much in the beginning that's why yeah. it's always showing them a picture and asking them to look deeper into it rather than telling them what's in the picture and by the way we don't mean just outright describing the threat sometimes you don't we keep using yeah. cloverfield as the example the people just running from 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 an unseen thing that is showing and it's telling nothing yes oh do we use minis for one-shot horror campaigns Oh, it's perfectly fine to use minis. Uh, I've used minis for a one-shot horror campaign. Uh, it also had a fog of war element. And at the time, I made this uh, terrain out of cardboard that suddenly opened up and revealed stuff. I love doing that. Uh, um, it's, I, there's a way to use minis for a one-shot horror campaign, especially... I think this is especially useful if you're taking facing into account. If the character is facing this way, they can't see exactly behind them. Uh, th that's an excellent way to to use the element of surprise there. I personally don't. I um, I try to avoid using any visual uh, aid when I do a horror campaign because I always feel like... Um, whatever the player is imagining is worse than anything that I could visualize for them. That's also true. But that's, but you know, it, that, yeah. you know different DMs have different styles. Yeah. Uh, I don't always use minis. Like, I use minis only for facing. Like, well, if you're facing this way, that means you can't, you, you have to look behind you to see what's behind you. Or oh, the Slenderman effect. Yeah, the Slenderman effect is perfect for minis. And, yeah, this is an important element helplessness and futility uh, a good rule of thumb is to present problems that are barely within reach or out of reach of solving okay oh, you can use it for position yes michael yes yeah, this is an excellent yeah uh, also i'm sorry if we're replying to your comments late it's because uh, there's a 10 second delay between the video and and the comment you see it 10 seconds later and yeah also sometimes i get super excited about what i'm talking about and i forget to look at the comments yes and don't forget to like and subscribe right up there 
all yes, the details. Yes, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Row, don't forget to like and subscribe. Okay, we go back to helplessness and futility. Yeah, this is a good rule of thumb. Present problems that are just barely within reach or barely out of reach. Uh, just don't, don't, uh, don't put them in a situation where they know that it's impossible for them. Like, yeah, don't make it impossible. Don't make it. It's impossible. not scary if it's impossible. There has to be. The, the, the characters need to have hope that they can make it out. Otherwise, they won't try. And, okay, I mean, we will talk about this more. But there is no horror without hope. Yeah, there is no horror without hope. Give them something to hold on to. Give them something to hope for and then snatch it from them. Yeah. And here's an interesting one. Incite paranoia. This was from Titus uh, when we were talking about this earlier. But not too much that this exceeds their desire to proceed in the game. Like it's a common mistake for dungeon masters and game masters to make the uh, to make the odds so great, like to put them to make them face traps in every direction too often. So much so that they're, they're afraid to take the next step in the game, and that's, but that's also why. When you make them, that's why when you make them helpless, make them helpless to get something that's really, really, really important to them. Don't uh, make a, make sure that the characters actually value their lives, or value something that's gonna get threatened, or maybe even value the world that is at stake. Because sometimes they're trying to save the world, and they could fail. Yeah, feeling helpless is completely different from feeling everything is pointless. Yeah, uh, you don't want players to just accept their situation and not fight. No, you want the players to fight. You want the characters to fight back, even if the players know that they're probably going to lose. You want the characters to fight back. Exactly. You want them to move forward despite the paranoia. You, they know that you know the. Other player characters around them could stab them in the back, and I've been killed by player characters before. I'm looking at you, Toby. You didn't tell me. You didn't tell me that one of them was a robot. <sighs> one of them was a robot, and then he tore me apart. It was, it was brutal. And just you know, being paranoid about everything, and despite that paranoia, like just moving onward anyway. The desire to proceed has to be there from the beginning. The players have to want to win, even if they won't. Yeah. Now we go into the subject of tropes. Now this is a point. Oh, here, here's some more, here are more great points. If winning feels impossible, then death at least should feel meaningful. Yes. Yes. I agree with this. I mean, it doesn't, Sometimes the dice or whatever the system makes you fail. Sometimes it's not meaningful. But in the horror genre, a death to fight uh, the greater horrors is still meaningful. Now, we go to tropes. We recommend you use and embrace them. Tropes are an excellent way to, to build a world out of the player's imagination if they know this particular trope they, they already have certain ideas about certain things and tropes aren't inherently bad 
which is why I really dislike the whole uh, cinema sins way of critiquing a movie or or the shaming of films, calling them bad because they have tropes. Tropes aren't bad. They or like, I don't not. like it when people don't like a film because they say it's tropey. Like, yeah. you know, the film uh, Spectre, you know, the James Bond film. It's like one of the tropiest films I've seen. Sometimes people don't like it just because it has Bond tropes in it. That's it's like, literally... oh, the, the last two... F- no, because the, the last two films were so... At least, no, Casino Royale was super subverty. Like, it it did a lot of unexpected things. And then all of a sudden, Spectre, they gave us gadgets. They gave us, like, the laughing Christoph Waltz villain with the... I am going to leave you in this room and expect you to die while I'm not around kind of, you know, thing. And people just thought it was, eh. I disagree. That's fun. I love that. That's classic Bond. And now we go to subversion of tropes. You have, when you subvert a trope, you have to do it right. You just have to do it right. Like, yeah. Game of Thrones. (laughs) Uh, here, the dislike for, according to Toby, Toby, the dislike for tropes is a misguided view similar to the misguided distaste for cooperative metagaming, which is different from abusive slash unfair metagaming. I agree. This is perfectly, uh, this, yeah, this is, a, this is my thoughts entirely. And it's not just that. One. The tropes kind of give your players an idea of what you want them to do. Like, if there's a dark basement, you know someone's got to explore that basement. Yeah. Um, when there is a couple, when there's a couple, you know that when one of them dies, it has to be within reach of the other so that they can... Oh, my God. I love it when... Yeah, exactly. Tropes are powering are and informative. Yes, Toby, yes. Or, like, you know, when you have, like, a parent and a child... You know that at some point w- the parent is going to have to start promising to be better to that child and saying that I'll start, you know, I'll, I'll start going to your recitals. I, I'll be a better father to you when we get home. I'm, I'm gonna, I swear, I'm gonna be better. And you know, he's not gonna make it. <laughs> it's so fun. Misery is so fun. I mean, yeah. it's fun for if it's fun for everybody, of course, you know. Yeah, subversion for the sake of of yeah. Here's an excellent point. Horror should always have some form of a Chekhov's gun. Now, for those who don't know what a Chekhov's gun is, uh, Chekhov point uh, pointed out that in literature or in drama, whatever you present should have meaning. That's how calculated it should be. Like, for example, if you show them a gun in the beginning of the story, it has to be fired by the end of the story. That is the concept of Chekhov's gun. For example, if somebody sees a creature looming in the woods before the story ends, we need to find out what that creature is. Or, in the case of Twilight, we need to bang that creature. Well, in a horror campaign. Oh boy. <laughs> we have this we have this character, we have this character in, in in a current campaign that we're doing, like who who basically has to have sex with demons to do like magic and stuff. Um 
It's fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, an, uh, uh, an incredible insight from Toby again. Players' backstories are, are are naturally full of Chekhov's guns you can use, and you, but you do have to ask if they are okay with it. And that, oh. that that's an excellent point. Yeah. And this I is think why, that's why I love uh, Vampire the Masquerade as a system because it literally has a list of people your a character has that they're attached to as part of character creation and these are people you can kill mess with you know make them suffer to make the players suffer oh yeah and like uh in in another uh world of darkness game uh wraith where all your characters are basically dead you're you're all ghosts you have this list of feathers that were of some importance to these ghosts in you know in their um in their living in their time when they were alive oh my gosh like toby loves to threaten the feathers because if all the feathers are destroyed the ghost has no reason to stay and it just you don't know where they go you don't know what comes after death after yeah. after death an interesting just, thing here subvert tropes with skill what we mean by that subversion of a trope for subversion's sake is po pointless case in point game of thrones season eight yet again <sighs> there's not enough in the war in blood in my body to explain my frustration of how that thank you game of thrones for giving us examples of how not to tell stories yeah how not to subvert the expectations just because people expect things to happen a certain way doesn't mean it's a bad thing you don't have to make a twist at every turn oh interesting thing about twists the twist in a story should not make things more confusing mm -hmm. a twist should make things clearer Yes. But still yes. unexpected. Yes. And players should never have to ask why. Yeah. Uh, actually, let's go back a little bit. This reminds me of the campaign I played with you. The, the, the one where I revealed that uh, the long search for my character's father wasn't actually a search to reconnect, but a, a long boiling search for vengeance and the moment the character was re reawakened it was the father was just stabbed to death relentlessly and i think that's a good that that is a that is a good example of a twist if if i'm not tooting my own horn oh yeah it is a good example of a twist and what happened is he foreshadowed the twist like after he did that all the strange things that his character was doing suddenly made sense <laughs> so it, it didn't raise questions it answered them no. okay. with skill now we go to part four a uh, part six uh characters and the players behind this is the final part of this this is mostly for people who want to play in horror campaigns and the advice uh game masters may have for you okay toby has another point great twists are things players go Ooh, that makes sense now looking back yeah that's, yeah. yeah like when you look back say oh that's why oh okay i keep talking about this 
bad twists are trying oh, to man. WTF the audience, which is like later M Night movies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, although uh, twists are not just limited to that. Um, one of the greatest twists in movie history had no explanation. Um, Darth Vader being Luke's father came out of nowhere. Nobody was never foreshadowed. Um, there was no, you know, it was shocking, sure. But, like, you know, again, th- there are exceptions to the rule. It was a good, yeah, it, it's one exception. And Event Horizon. I actually have not seen Event Horizon. I have not seen I Event should. Horizon. Can you tell us a little bit more about Event Horizon, my, uh, Michael? Unless, of course, you want us to watch the film and experience the twist for ourselves. And mind you, yeah. ha! That is interesting. Okay, that is a very interesting thing because I, um, one, it depends on the system, because some systems require the DM to not know, and for the DM to create the twist based on the players. There is this scenario in a game called Dread where um, these teenagers are stuck in this cabin in the woods and they're stuck in this cabin in the woods and they start dying one by one and one of them is the killer. Here's the thing though. Each character is a... Each character is given enough reason to think that they themselves were the killer due to um, some mental illness they have or some kind of blacking out thing that they have. So in this case, when I run that, um, I don't know who the killer is going to be. But as the story moves forward, as players start revealing themselves... And until the inevitable point where one of the players realizes, wait a minute, looking at all the clues, am I the killer? And the player starts playing that out as if they were the killer. And you notice this person starting to actively act like the killer. Eventually, you you have a meeting of the minds with that person and you're like, okay, you got it. You're the killer. That's when you and that player start building up to a scene where it's revealed that it's them. Which is great because none of the players really know if I contacted any of them and asked them to be the killer. In reality, I didn't. So, even to me, it's a surprise. I want we done that? Thing where all the players are the actual killer monsters. Oh, wait! There was one time, there was one time when all my players, Toby ran this too, um, with me. I ran it with some of my other friends. There was this one time when all the players were Nazis digging for stuff for the Thule Society underground. And they were exploiting these African laborers to get there. The players just embarrassed. Embrace their role as these terrible, terrible 
terrible people to the point that when they died at the end, we were happy that they died. <laughs> anyway. This reminds me of this uh, this episode of this uh, short-run horse series, anthology series that, that went on TV. It was The first episode was a zombie episode, and it featured this... Uh, the main character was a female, was a girl, who kept running away from her boyfriend who had turned into a zombie, who kept like following her everywhere. And she would encounter these characters as time went on. And then finally, at the end of it, it revealed that she was a zombie too the whole time. It was just her perception lying to her. The other character she encountered over the course of the story, her memory came crashing back. She murdered all of them and ate them. And finally, she joined her zombie boyfriend, Cory Monteith. And they just ate people together in this romantic but sickening sort of twist. Oh, I want to highlight the, the first comment from Toby after that. Which one? Curse of the Yellow Sign? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 play and the Nazis. That's uh, that was that's from a book called Curse of the Yellow Sign, by a guy named John Wick. No relation to the Keanu Reeves character. It's. I am running volume three very 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 soon. Okay, now we go to part six for real now. Characters yeah. and the players behind them. <laughs> Basically, this is a guide on how to enjoy horror games more as a player. Now, the first rule we uh, have to say is be on board and present in the story. Yeah. Basically, allow yourself to enjoy horror. The thing about uh, this is a point we brought up in the last uh, Dungeons & Dragons episode of Dragonforge After Dark. You have to be in a specific mindset. A horror campaign isn't like a movie. It isn't like theater. It's the horror is not presented to you from a source beyond going into you, going into your eyeballs and your ears where your mind processes it. A horror campaign is rooted in the imagination. It's coming that from you, you. Yeah, it's coming from you. It has to come from you. And you have to be willing to imagine, willing to be afraid, and all the emotions that come with horror. To truly enjoy a horror campaign. If you go into a horror campaign and your mindset is not to get scared and to treat the game as some sort of uh, thing you have to beat, it's no point. There's no point. It, it's it's not going to be enjoyable for you. You're just going to see uh, numbers and dice. Yeah, the table. That's it. You just see a table. And, you see your friends. Your 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 DM, and that's, that's not scary. Yeah. But if you put yourself in the shoes of your character, regardless of who your character is, bad person, good person, different from you, similar to you, um, uh, when we did the <clears throat> when we did digging for a dead god. Um, when my players were putting themselves in the shoes of the Nazi soldiers, 
I mean, none of them are actual Nazis, as far as I'm aware. Um, but they feared things that Nazis would fear. They feared, you know, this loss of power that a Nazi would feel. They, they, uh, I wouldn't go far as saying it, but they sympathized to an extent with their characters. Um, they all had these little traits that made them very un-Nazi and were scared that, you know, the others would find out that one was gay, uh, the other was uh, uh, too much of a German patriot, um, uh, another was, uh, I think, not even a Nazi, it was actually a British spy. So, um, you know, uh, the players have to internalize that fear. And that is actually a conscious decision. It's not something the DM makes you do. Yeah, I mean the DM can't. Ex- I mean the DM can certainly put on a clown mask and scare the shit out of you by going <laughs> out of a corner, but that's too much work on the DM's part. Not saying that we won't do it's that. Not, yeah, I'm not not saying that I won't do that, but. Uh, you have to meet me halfway here, basically. And you have to remember the collaborative nature of tabletop RPGs. It's not you versus... It's not the players versus the game master. It's everyone together trying to create a good horror story. A good horror experience where you get scared shitless, where you feel the anxiety, the helplessness, all of that. And here's another good rule. And I'll have time to take take this over. Yeah, be vocal and descriptive about your character's feelings. Tell, uh, for me as a DM, I want to hear what about this is scaring you. Is it the mirror on the side? Is it a certain part of the monster that is grossing you out? I want to know so that I can give you more of it. Uh, uh, One person who does this really well is... uh, Toby, Toby's right here. <laughs> um, uh, like Toby's right here. Um, one way that Toby does this is if Toby notices that I uh, that my character is being made uncomfortable by something, he puts more of it in. Um, when we were doing uh, when we were doing uh, Changeling: The Lost, the one where you know our characters were um, survived being kidnapped and enslaved by fairies. Um, there was the scene where this other character was basically gaslighting my character into thinking that this traumatic thing did not happen to him, that these fairies are actually a myth, and it was just something that he imagined. And uh, Toby, expert DM that he is, noticed that I was getting really, really, really unsettled uh, by being gaslit into thinking that my trauma was invalid or that it didn't happen. And I just, I felt for my character so much that I started describing my character's hairs standing up, his hands starting to shake, tears running down his eyes. And Toby just, um, just upped the gaslighting to 11 and just said all the trigger words, just... This is all your fault for, for getting so emotional about these things. Uh, 
you you just don't know when things are all in your head or like this is really just blaming him starting to blame him for all these terrible things that uh, are traumatizing him and it just drove my character insane and by the end of it my character was covered in uh, blood because he uh, killed another person in, in a frenzy in his insanity yes yeah, yeah just just so you know um, Every time he would always ask me if I was okay, and I would always respond with, "Yes, I'm okay," but my character isn't. My character definitely isn't. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, good, yeah. Definitely yeah. check in with your players. And I got this comment from Miss Karaos on YouTube. That clown laugh, though, why was that so accurate? I actually practice my clown laughs. I can do every Joker's clown laugh, like uh, Jared Leto. Ah. Ah, 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 ah. ah, the seagull. Yeah. But I, I thought that was excellent, actually. I enjoyed him in Justice League. Yeah, yeah. And the Heath Ledger. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Yeah. Always Maybe good Jack to Nicholson. have like a, a repertoire of sound effects at your command, like scary the scary noises. I the- have soundboards. I prefer soundboards. <laughs> Yeah. Do Mark Hamill. Oh, this is challenging. I don't think I can do Mark Hamill's laugh right now because my throat is a little tired because his is very throaty and raspy. But uh, I promise I will attempt to do this in the next episode. Okay, we need to write that down. The next episode, he will do Mark Hamill. I will do Mark Hamill. You heard it here, folks. DR will do Mark Hamill. Yeah, with I his consent. Do, I will do Mark Hamill. I will do him to the best of my ability. I hope it satisfies. Anyway, next the the next few steps of enjoying horror games. It's okay to want to beat the game or power gra- power game in any other genre, but horror not usually the game to do it. Really isn't. Like, yeah, please don't. Um, you know, a lot of you are probably, um, a lot of you are probably familiar with the story of uh, Old Man Jenkins. Um, it's a story of there was this DM who he was just so rule. There was this DM who was really rule centric, didn't care so much about role play, and did not read his characters' backstories and anything. Um, and he was running Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> He was running Call of Cthulhu, one of the most RP-intensive games, and he didn't care too much about RP. This guy made a power gamey character called Old Man Jenkins with this backstory that basically justified a lot of the impossible things that he could do in the game. What happened was this guy managed to um, gather up enough resources to kill Hastur, the king in yellow kill as a kill the king in yellow you're not supposed to kill an elder god as a human being but because the rules of the game allowed it and he just played the rules and the dm you know just not understanding the point of call of cthulhu just allowed it to happen somehow the game ended with the party having killed That's not a hor- yeah it's not a horror the king in yellow 
it, it, that didn't become a horror campaign. That became a power mm. fantasy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we kill gods in games all the time. Look at Final Fantasy, but horror games is not where you do that. Yeah. Okay, now there is a. This is something that applies to all games, not just horror games, but the silent type is a common trope in the horror game. You have to play the silent type carefully. You can't kid. just say you're sitting there absorbing information like you're always do, like you're, you're always doing. You you have you have to participate, and one way you can do this is to be more active. Silent type. Describe. Describe what yeah. your character is thinking and feeling, and and possibly doing or want to or want to do. Uh, we'll go back to an example where I played with Titus before when he was my game master for Scup. I played in that campaign. There there could be entire sessions where I would say what one to three sentences entirely, but I would be passing Titus notes, texting Titus the whole time. The whole time. For the entire three-hour session, he was just texting me, and none of the players knew it. I mean, they were probably thinking, oh, uh, Danger must have had a really long day. He's not playing with us. His character is just... Uh, he's never in the scene. He's always in the background. Whenever he is in the scene, he doesn't talk to anyone. Uh, maybe we should just leave him be. Yeah, Dandy was with us in that campaign. <laughs> it's like I was... <laughs> And we, we just thought that, you know, they just thought he wasn't just in the mood to play. It turns out he was, you know, texting me the entire time and everything that was happening, you know, inside his silent character's mind was happening in secret. Until the final 30 minutes of the game where he just unleashes hell on the world, assassinates the king, and plunges the kingdom into absolute anarchy. And he was doing this while all of the players were... And here's the thing. His actions that he was telling me, like he was texting me, that was actually... Uh, that Those were the explanation of several things that were happening to the players. They didn't realize that it was actually dangerous character that uh, was causing them to happen. Turns out that he was the mastermind be behind that entire episode, and the other players didn't know. And he was doing it as a silent type. Silent does not mean boring. Don't be boring. Yeah, just you can play a silent type if you want, but don't be boring. And yeah, you have to focus on action and employ what tools you need to pass notes, send texts. Text if you me, don't want the just, other players to know, yeah. Just freaking text me. Like I love it when my players text me with their character secrets because it it gets me in on the on the plot and I love scheming with other characters, especially if they're scheming against each other, because that way I can make something bad happen. <laughs> uh, making bad things happen is something I love to do. It's and it's an essential part of horror. And my players love it. They love it when they do bad things to them. <laughs> And I think this is the final with tip. consent. Yeah, this consent is, is the cathar. We're going to talk about the catharsis in horror. The players have to accept the inevitability of death and potentially insurmountable odds, and that is 
one of the points of horror. To face such odds and to fight no matter how futile, no matter how unknowable, no matter how helpless they might be in the face of adverse circumstances. That is the catharsis in horror. The capacity to go through all the fear and anxiety and all all the negative emotions that we try not to feel on a daily basis. Just uh, try and succeed. Just trying your best. And that is cathartic. It's really just cathartic. It's really just this, you know, oh man, this one game I'm playing, uh, it's a campaign I have with Toby. I have this character. He's he's a father. He's a father who um, separated from his daughter because he was killed uh, mysteriously and he's trying to solve his own murder and the thing is, while he does this investigation, he finds out that his daughter is um, he finds out that his daughter is actually in danger in the living world. And just those odds, just that connection and just that emotion of love that my character feels, um, he has traveled multiple times through literal hell. Like fought his way past monsters through manifestations of his worst fears. And note, he's dead. Okay, when I say hell, I mean literal hell. Just to get back to his daughter and save her from whatever is threatening her, and that's exactly what horror should be about. Uh, yeah, Toby's having flashbacks too. Um, yeah, yeah. Wraith, Oblivion, and Orpheus. Both are World of Darkness systems, by the way. Yeah, World of Darkness, excellent systems. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's about fear versus the judgment that something is more important than fear. And I can't believe I'm quoting the Princess Diaries as we conclude our presentation. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're going to have like a short discussion, like from the comments. What comments do you have? Tips, questions. Uh, we're taking them, except uh, that request to, to attempt to do the Mark Hamill laugh. Yeah, sorry. Because Mark my, Hamill my throat is a little tired. So, yeah. Do you, do you guys have any questions? Violent reactions. I love violent reactions. Anecdotes from your own horror campaigns. Tropes you've always wanted to explore but didn't know how to. Stuff you want me to run for you. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of horror campaigns, we act- the Dragonforge actually ran a horror campaign. Yes, uh, Dandy was part of it. It's... Uh, uh, it was a Vampire the Masquerade campaign you can find on YouTube. Okay. Any games you feel are impossible to run with horror themes successfully? Oh. Dungeons and Dragons. 
Well, not impossible. Not I impossible, wouldn't I do it. I mean, okay, n- well, okay, nothing is impossible, but I wouldn't do it. Hmm. <laughs> he's done it. He's tried. He's he's tried. Um, he's tried scaring me in Dungeons and Dragons. And the only reason that it worked is because my friends and I are, are you know, uh, really into role playing. So of course we got to role player characters being scared, even if we knew that we could wipe the floor with anything he threw at us. That's a lie. DR's a sadist. <laughs> I actually, there's not a thing I can imagine that is uh, impossible to run with horror themes. Uh, this one, I, I I don't know the lore well enough, but I feel like I, it's still possible if I, it's zoomed in. Yeah, it has to be super zoomed in. Um, yeah. I, I don't it, think it your won't character... Feel like a war, yeah, it won't feel like a war game anymore. Yeah, I, I, I don't think your characters can be, uh, um, you know, like, um, <laughs> what did they call Sigmar Space Marines again? Stormcast Eternals. Yeah. How would you deal with a game group, say, ready to play vampire, but a person states blood as a do not have in the game? Okay, first question. Why is that player playing vampire? <laughs> But but I never say no. Let's yeah. say that did happen. Uh, because there was a time, there was a time when uh, we were playing uh, the between um, with DR and a few of my friends. Um, somebody uh, was not comfortable with sexual violence. Uh, it was a line. It wasn't a veil. It was a line. We could not have sexual violence in the game. And I basically told the players outright that I basically told the players outright, okay, um, Jack the Ripper only kills people. I am willing to uh, go as far as to say that Jack the Ripper doesn't do anything else but kill. Um, of course, the players said they it didn't seem right and maybe they were willing to bend it a bit. But um, um, for the blood, be creative. Yeah. The players are always more important <coughs> than the game that they are playing. I would find a way. Uh, don't call yeah, it blood. Um, make it feel like the essence or life force of the other person is is flowing into you from that bite. Uh, use euphemisms. Use euphemisms. Um. Uh, that, that's also a way that we deal with um, when a player doesn't want sex, but um, sex is going to be part of the story. Yeah. We use euphemisms. Um, we can make it stylistic. Uh, I like the scene in uh, Suicide Squad where Harley Quinn kills a bunch of people and it's just confetti. It's great. Oh, yeah. That's an excellent one. That That is... There's no blood in that. I mean... But we saw the violence. We knew what was happening to these people that was absolutely mutilating. Um, Gorn has a setting where everyone's a piñata. I would actually go so far as to ask the player, uh, do they not want depictions of blood entirely or is it just the word blood? Just to see how uh, how much you can actually use 
when you're telling the story later on. Like, for example, if they just don't like the word blood, then that's that's fairly easy enough. But if they don't want blood to be depicted at all, to no mentions or allusions to it, now that's a bit of a challenge. And but might, it's not yeah. a like I would I'd never say no. I would never say no. Oh, but okay. I'd say no sometimes to, to things yeah, I really, really, no. really, really, really can't I, do. I'd ask the player what they're doing in a game about vampires. First and yeah. foremost, because that doesn't make sense. Um, I I would ask them if uh, they would like to play another game. Actually, um, yeah, I I might recommend another game. Uh, yeah, that's about it. You just have to know the rules, like determine the 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 extent of the trigger, so that you can get around it. Are there any specific horror movies you personally hope to try playing as a game someday? Oh, hmm. um, I'm actually um, I'm running a campaign. Um, I'm running a campaign uh, currently with uh, another group of friends that I have. Uh, it includes uh, my siblings and uh, a couple of our cousins. Um, uh, we are running a campaign uh, based on the John Wick Yellow Sign Trilogy. We ran Digging for a Dead God. We ran, um, uh, you know, the Calling the King, the Cursed Play and everything. And when I run a horror campaign, yes, everyone, uh, when I run a horror games, usually everyone is dead by the end of the session. But the characters that come out in the next one are usually like echoes. There are usually echoes between them and the the other uh players the other characters that died before i really 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 want to run act three which is uh the like you know the flight of the archimedes it takes place in, in space and a lot of that is based on uh uh 2001 space odyssey i want to set my players up against an ai I want doors to close on them. I want equipment to malfunction. I want them to feel like they are at the mercy of technology and just this absolute helplessness because you've been so dependent on technology. What are you going to do when it turns against you? That is, a, that is a fantasy that I play in my head over and over someday. Me, the pandemic uh... hit. We weren't able to run it. But yeah. we will. I would love to run an alien-style sci-fi horror one day. Yeah, that, that's definitely, uh, I think, an excellent uh, movie to explore in terms of turning into a campaign. And there's there was also this show called The River. Unfortunately, it was canceled after one season. It only had six episodes. It was about uh, a group of people exploring the amazon looking for a miss missing this branch of the amazon river that is avoided by by the by the native peoples because of all the inexplicable things that happen in that branch of the of the river and they're basically the point of the story was they're looking for a specific person and I don't want to spoil what happens at the end of the season, but since nobody's really watching it, <laughs> uh, basically their their goal at the end of the first season is to escape the river. Love you, Toby. And all the things that happen on it. 
of what um, other oh god the thing the I thing really really thing. want to play the thing as a game of dread yeah i, I feel like it's an ex it feels like the werewolf system you know you know the werewolf game almost yeah 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 I, I need to find i, I really uh, the, the reason i haven't done it yet because i, I need to find a way that uh, um the thing can manifest the other players and yeah. the players wouldn't know it but then again how is the player supposed to role play being you know uh copied thing, yeah. by the thing like you know I, there there's like i i i'm there are a lot of uh, logistical issues that I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out, but I will play the thing as a game of dread at some point in my life. Uh, the thing equals werewolf you, equals. You, you, you have to you have to teach me. You have to teach me how to do it. Well, this is something we can talk about in our horror uh, horror RPGs episode. So yeah, I learned the. I learned a lot of horror gaming techniques from Toby. He's, he's, he's like, he's my, he's my horror game guru. Yep. I mean, and does anybody else have any anecdotes, questions? Uh, <laughs> you and I, I mean, haven't played a lot of horror games together, sadly. Yeah, I would like, uh, I, I want to explore more. Perhaps after my GM strike. Yeah, that's the news. I'm on GM strike. I am avoiding being a GM for now, just so I can play for once. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm running for him now. Uh, he is enjoying himself, though. Yes, I am enjoying myself. <laughs> anyway, uh, before we... Oh, most... Oh, there's one final question. Let's listen. Most memorable unintentional horror moment in a horror in a non-horror game you already know what i'm gonna talk about toby um you first the are ah uh titus ran this pathfinder campaign for us a while back oh fuck this was the same second f-bomb titus damn <laughs> sorry no anyway. sorry that that was that was great yeah uh this was the same campaign where I revealed that the, the my character who had been seeking his father for so long wasn't actually seeking to reunite, but was seeking to avenge his colonized people who almost died out because the colonizers had brought disease and slavery and violence upon his people. And uh, yeah. And the father who, uh, who was killed in such anger returned as a ghost and my character had to make a choice because the ghost possessed his beloved velociraptor pet slash companion, his last companion from the home to which he could never return. And um, the character made the choice to end his own life, to save his companion. And it was just, yeah, it was just this meaningful incredibly beautiful death and i appreciated that so much i didn't know he was gonna do it i didn't think i thought that what i was doing is i was goading him into killing his pet 
which is something I like to do to him. Um, I was goading him because he loved that Velociraptor. Like it was his favorite NPC. It was always around. It always saved him. It always like really like it was part of the party and everything. Yeah. And what I was doing is I wanted to push his character into a corner where his character would have to kill his beloved pet, the one you know, the Velociraptor, and his character just loved that animal so much that um, instead he stabs himself in the heart and he unfetters the ghost from the world by removing him by removing himself from it which was just the most brilliant way to deal with a ghost of course the ghost disappeared and the velociraptor was people were crying yeah people were people were crying <laughs> when yeah, i remember happened. my my final lines I, I I go home. I go home to Mama. Oh my God! People were crying. Like we had to take a break because people were crying. <laughs> nothing wrong with crying. Um, yeah, wrong. It's a, that, that means you're doing. It's a good campaign. Role play yeah. is excellent. Crying, screaming, laughing—they're all reactions to emotion, and emotions is something you welcome in this sort of thing. You play horror to feel emotion, makes you feel alive. You know, just um, that's what I always tell my players. You see this? I always encourage them to—I always encourage them to put themselves in this place of these characters where they have to face these unsurmountable odds for the sake of something that they think is more important than themselves, just to face their fears. My favorite horror game is Bloodborne. Simply because it's it's a scary game, but the way it's played is you have to rush towards the, the scary thing in order to kill it. You have to rush towards it. It hits you, you have to hit back immediately, and it actually regains your health. It's It's a beautiful horror game. And I keep telling them that horror is just a simulation of how we see our own lives because you know you're you're faced with the feeling of helplessness every day you're yeah. faced with fear every day and it's really just the decision to make it out to the bitter end that makes you a good character that makes you a fighter and in the end even when your character is dead you, the player, are still alive. You carry that with you. I have not played any of the Fatal Frame series. I'm so sorry. It's way too intense for me. I, yeah. I can't. I, I just can't. I, um, I heard rumors of a new one coming out, but we haven't actually played it. And ah, right. I... My favorite memorable unintentional horror moment in a non-horror game. Um. Oddly enough, this was. Uh... Oh my god, my favorite unintentional horror moment in a non-horror game. We were playing. Uh, it, it was a Cold War. It was the Cold War, and um, it was the Cold War, and I was uh, I was Russian, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the climax. When they were burning down this building, it was an act of terrorism. Uh, you know, the, the 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 communist faction was 
was uh, fighting, was striking against the, you know, the, um, the, the capitalist faction, basically. And they were bringing this building down. And my character was actually trying to save it until this one character uh, recites these trigger words to my character. And then my character, and this was already me and Toby like collaborating what he did next, immediately moves on his own, turns into a completely different person, and starts to blow the building up. Uh, he was a sleeper agent this whole time, but the way it was played, it just had so much dreadful existential uh, that had such a dreadful existential tone to it that it it was unsettling. I loved it. It was great. Uh, I love to feel uncomfortable in role-playing games. Dark Souls 3. Yes, Cold Shadows. That was it. Dark Souls 3 gives the players a tough choice ending. I would... Uh, the thing with Dark Souls 3... Yes, yes, it does. Um... Dark Souls 3 is an existentialist horror uh, plot where in the end you choose to continue the cycle, this vicious cycle of light and dark that's just, just it, it, it's a terrible world to live in, or to end it and to just allow the nothingness to happen and just, just hope that something comes out of that. Um, Again, it's dealing with futility. It's it's dealing with the meaninglessness in your life. Yeah. And helplessness. helplessness. But while your character is going through that, you, the player, also get this catharsis out of Yeah, exactly. You know, so what if it's cyclical? So what if it's futile? I I fought uh Yeah, you fought the good fight. You know, I fought the dragon. I defeated the soul of cinders. I, I took on these, these things. I fought. I fought, and that's what matters. That's that's yeah. Dark Souls. I love Dark Souls. And that's horror campaigns too. I have. The, I literally have the Dark Souls logo like stenciled on to my computer. Just that. That is how much I love that series because it just. The feeling of helplessness that you feel and the only way to get out of it is to fight and even to die trying that is exactly the point of these things I, i'm very passionate about this just just you know just <laughs> oh sorry um I'm, I'm very passionate about this sort of thing anyway uh that'll be the uh, I think we ha- we can conclude here. Before we do that, though, please remember to like and subscribe. Please it like and subscribe. And uh, bl- please check out uh, DragonForgeHobbies.com for all your gaming goods. We have we can sell you dice. stuff. Yeah, we can sell you stuff. Give us money. Day. Give us money for the We're dice. For the books. Capitalists, uh, a small business having a difficult times in the pandemic. That's what we are. And thank you to everyone who participated. Thank you, Toby, Michael, Veronica, everyone who's here, Dandy. Uh, thank you all for ah! DR, take him on that offer. 
and would be happy to oh, yes please oh my lord have mercy i would love i to i don't stop talking about him by the way like um he all he knows you he practically knows you at this point and again thank you this has been danger and to say your name <laughs> i'm sorry i thought you were going to introduce me yourself okay <laughs> and this has been danger and titus with dragon forge after dark episode 11 running horror campaign i'm so excited for our next episode yep i have so much to talk about happy halloween